Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler, back with the first episode of 2022, where we've called in the most accomplished quartet of agency experts we could lay our hands on to help us unpack the media trends that lie in waiting this year. And with it being 2022's topic du jour, it will come as zero surprise to anyone listening that the metaverse hits double-digit mentions rather quickly. But don't worry, there's loads more we get into around the attention recession, QR codes finding themselves on an upwards trajectory via the slope of enlightenment, and the rather exciting one-off prospect of a Winter Football World Cup bang slap in the middle of Christmas's domination of media schedules. Hashtag is coming home. Helping me navigate through all of the aforementioned and plenty more is Marek Rubel, Head of Media Futures at Havas Media UK, Richard Kirk, CSO at Zenith UK, Liz Duff, Head of Media and Investment at Total Media, and kicking things off with the trends maestro himself, here's Cara's Dan Calladine. Dan, last January, you joined our Trends webinar and you predicted three things. You talked about the rise of FOGO, the fear of going out. You talked about the donut problem and you predicted quite wonderfully the decade of paid. How would you assess your predictions that you made last January? Well, I think on those three, we did pretty well. I think, I mean, for FOGO, fear of going out, I'm currently recording this sitting at home because we're not allowed in the office at the moment. Mm -hmm. Basically, one of my biggest resolutions for this year is to carry on not getting COVID. So I think a lot of people, not exactly the fear of going out. I think we're going to see quite a lot of seasonal differences. Mm -hmm. I think we may even see people deciding to meet up in, you know, say October, because it's Mm -hmm. going to be easier than December, certainly for the next few years. So I think that one definitely, then the donut problem. I think we seem to have got that one as well. And what we meant by that one was that cities would be hollowed out a little bit in that traffic would go up more in the outskirts than in the city centres. And I know if you were trying to go Christmas shopping in London in December, there wasn't that much evidence of that. But I think broadly speaking, places in the outskirts are doing better than places in the middle. And I think we're still seeing those sort of footfall patterns. And then the third one that we were talking about, the decade of paid, again, that seems to come to pass. We've seen, for example, Twitter experimenting with having a paid service where you paid something like $3 a month for it. But then also, and something that we categorically didn't predict, we've seen the rise of a whole new sort of monetization with things mm. like NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something I was reading yesterday, Adidas launched an NFT program before Christmas, where effectively it's like a superpowered fan club, superpowered members club. Mm. And they were selling NFTs that people had to pre-register for. And according to an estimate I saw from, who was it? I've lost the link, but quite a good blog source. They reckon that Adidas made something like $23 million in the space of either a few hours or a few days by selling NFTs to their super fans. And what this NFT would allow people to do was effectively be first in line for buying limited edition items and things. But effectively, you're getting the super fans to pay Mm. for the pleasure of being super fans, for the pleasure of being continued customers of yours. So I think definitely this is still the decade of paid. Yeah, and I saw that Melania Trump, who has sort of been quiet for the last few months, is selling... NFTs of some description, which aren't quite being snapped up in the same way, perhaps, as the Adidas ones. Everyone's doing it. 
Who's not in NFTs? Well, I actually read somebody else's blog post yesterday that you could actually click to buy as an NFT. So you could buy a copy of the blog post as an NFT. And I think she was selling 100 different NFTs based on each of her blog posts or something Mm. like that. So I think it's another way people can experiment around the idea of getting payment for their work, getting payment for what they're creating. And so I think it diversifies the model away from being 100% based on advertising. Mm -hmm. And I think it allows some creators who weren't necessarily able to monetize all that wealth through advertising because they've got sort of very engaged fans, very Mm -hmm. passionate Mm -hmm. super fans rather than millions and millions of fans. Then I think that's a good thing because it guarantees we get, you know, more content and more interesting and more varied sorts of content. Yes, and varied models, which is obviously important as well. Let's jump into this year, 2022. The much-famed Dentsu Media Trends report is out, and uh, this time you've identified three megatrends. I wonder if you'd be as kind as to give us the top line on those three. So the three megatrends we have are the prolonged pandemic, brand citizenship, and identity. And so with prolonged pandemic, what we're effectively saying is that you know, the world is not going back to 2019. Mm. Some things will return to what they were like before, but I think other things have changed. It's almost like a pandemic transformation rather than a digital transformation (laughs) with, for example, everything going omni-channel. So with some of the movies, particularly from people like Disney, you can actually watch them at home the same day as you can watch them in the cinema. Yeah. Because they're allowing people to choose how they want to consume things. I mean, obviously, we've had omnichannel retail for quite a long time, yeah. but we're also seeing th- things like conferences going this way. We're seeing things like, you know, London Fashion Way. Yeah. Um, we're also seeing the rise of new forms of commerce. So, with things like services, I don't know if you've tried it yet, but in many parts of the UK, I mean, not just capital cities like London, but also smaller cities like Nottingham, you have this thing called Q Commerce, where you have services like Getir and services like Wheezy effectively bringing you your groceries and other products on demand, hopefully within 10 minutes or so. And that's really interesting. We're also seeing more developments around things like buying through your TV set, which I think has been the promise for ages, (laughs) but I think it's finally coming. We're also seeing the rise of virtual worlds. And so it seems sort of every day brings new stories about brands doing interesting things within Roblox or within Fortnite. And the most recent one I've seen is Forever 21, the fashion retailer, and they've effectively set up a game within Roblox where you can control your own fashion store and you can decide what to shop and you can, you know, get points for doing that. So it's just a really good way of integrating the brand into new sorts of environments. That also brings in the whole metaverse idea as well. Then also you have this idea of secure scarcity, which, as I say, effectively revolves around things like NFTs and all the different things NFTs are being used for. Actually, one of the really fascinating ones before Christmas was the cinema chain in the States were offering people a free Spider-Man NFT if they pre-booked a Spider-Man ticket. And Spider-Man, I mean, had record pre-sales for Spider-Man this time around, you know, during the middle of the pandemic. And Spider-Man is actually the only film in the last 12 months to achieve a billion dollars box God, office. Yes, and so- you know, so when you think about NFTs, you think about things like Beeple, but it can be used for all sorts of other things. And then finally, within the prolonged pandemic trend, what we're talking about is this idea of people having a greater amount of flexibility in their lives mm. in that 
not many people or certainly not many people in jobs like yours and mine are going to be going back to the office for five days a week. Mm. So this gives people additional flexibility. It's what they might do with that time, whether they might, you know, be able to travel more flexibly, whether they might be able to, you know, instead of working from home in London, could I work from home in Paris? Could I do those sorts of things? And I think there's going to be lots of things around how consumer behaviour changes. I mean, yeah, yeah. one simple example, I, I don't know where you live. I'm in South London. If you go out in some places near to me before Omicron came along, it was absolutely wild on Thursday night because presumably an awful lot of people didn't have to be up and commuting yes. at 7.30 the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So Thursday night would just sort of become, you know, very anecdotal, but that's mm. just one example of how consumer behaviour may change, how the world may change. Well, podcast is interesting as well, Dan, because there were lots of articles when we first went into the pandemic around, you know, so many podcasts are listened to on commutes and obviously work commuting, therefore podcasts are going to take a nosedive. And actually when you dug into it, people have just found different moments in their day to do this they haven't it's not they've gone away at all and even if you take the commute I mean, my commute is three hour round trip if you count both i've got three hours in my day to do different things i don't really want to be working because i'll be doing additional stuff so it is fascinating isn't it the sort of the human behavior around it it's this extra opportunity to mm. use that time for something productive to you know to listen to podcasts if you want to there were people during the pandemic learning languages and things and i think you know a lot of people will have made new year's resolutions and i imagine some of those would be to use some of this yes. time more productively yeah, yeah. or at least i hope it will be anyway but anyway the second one of the mega trends that we're talking about in this year's report is all about brand citizenship and this is really broken into two parts the first part we call in the responsible rebuild. And this is really all about how brands are changing their supply chains. They're getting more involved with the circular economy. They're making, you know, they're, they're trying to find ways to extend the life of their product. They're trying to make things in different ways. Another story about Adidas, actually, a couple of days ago, they've now released the shoes they've made in collaboration with Allbirds, which are apparently the most climate friendly sneakers ever and then also you have people like mcdonald's a bit before christmas opened up the first net zero mcdonald's in the uk mm. where they're using things like solar power and they're they're just being much more conscious yeah. about the sorts of things they're doing so that's the first half of this trend and the second half is really all about the marketing aspect of that so being more sustainable with your advertising um, trying to work out where your money is going trying to work out whether different sorts of channels are more sustainable than others yeah. but then also trying to use your marketing money to support you know to support things that you as a brand want mm -hmm. to support so things like supporting diverse owned media channels minority channels those sorts of things and so we're seeing lots of we're seeing lots of things around that of brands really trying to think about how they work trying to rework both their physical supply chains but also their media supply chains yeah, yeah, to try yeah. to use yeah both their production budgets and their marketing budgets to make the world into a better place. There's only so much you can do through marketing and advertising. You know, if it means changing your product, I mean, Unilever are a fantastic example of this in terms of what they've changed around packaging. It's not just a marketing thing that sits in that bit of the organisation. There really is a through line through, through the whole thing. And I think feels to me like there'll be brands that will be found out if you're talking a good game but you know you sort of get behind it and perhaps the practices aren't as sustainable or ethical whatever it might be oh well, yes i mean there's going to be so many people looking out for greenwashing there are going to be so many people saying 
oh, well, it's interesting that brand A does such and such because <laughs> it has the same parent company as brand B. Yeah. And brand B isn't doing anything about this at all. And so therefore, you know, we're calling this out or something. Yeah. So I think if you combine the sort of, well, both what brands and what marketers within the brands want to do, but then also if you combine, you know, sort of keyboard warriors and stuff trying to call brands out and trying to encourage certain behaviours and things, then I think we're going to see, you know, many more campaigns mm. trying to make the world a better place as part of selling more product or yeah. driving awareness or driving consideration yeah. nice. for, for the master brand as well. Mm. And then the final trend that we feature in our report this year is all about what's happening with identity and this mm. is really this really comes from a sort of acknowledgement that there's this strange paradox at the moment where it's never been easier for me to prove who I am. Now I've got apps on my phone that say who I am, say what my vaccine status is, mm -hmm. say what my test status is and, and things like that. But at the same time, it's much harder for brands to actually prove if they're advertising, they've been able to reach me. They've been able to get their message to me and then to tr sort of try to monitor how I might have responded to it. So there's this strange sort of yeah. paradox around identity in that it's more important than ever to consumers but it's harder than ever for brands to actually navigate it, particularly when you think that, you know, something like 70% of ad spend is digital these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we basically split this into three parts. The first one, well, another sort of quite tabloidy phrase, a bit like the, the decade of paid, <laughs> is the end of anonymity. Mm. And this is really, you know, saying that when you do things online these days, it's much harder to be an, on an anonymous user. So many more things like new sites have got paywalls or just, not, you know, sometimes not even a paywall. It's just to continue reading this article, you need to register for this. We're also seeing this with the arrival of Amazon's shops. And I think Amazon is hoping to open something like 100 grocery stores in wow. the UK this year. And to actually go into one of these shops, you need to check in. So you need to open up your phone, open up the Amazon app, scan in with the QR code. So you can't even be anonymous walking around the mm. shops, you know, in, in some of these shops. And clearly this gives Amazon the advantage that they know who you are, they know what you're buying, and potentially they can track that back to yeah. some advertising you might have seen yeah. on one of their platforms over the last few weeks or so. It's holy so grail stuff, isn't it? It's all, but you know, it, it all revolves around this idea of identity and the trade-off between mm. the identity that, you know, what we want to keep secret, the brand exchange between what we're yeah. willing to share and the benefit that we get from it. And if mm. you've been to one of the Amazon shops, I mean, the benefit you get is... You can just grab a load of stuff and walk out oh, very, delightful. very quickly. Delightful. You know, Mr. Amazon knows exactly what yes. I've bought and, and things like that. And, yeah. You know, potentially can use that for targeting data in, in, at a later date or something like that. So that's the first element of this. And the second one is really all about what's happening around cookies. And we go into some specifics around new sorts of technologies which are being developed around things like AI, around things like contextual, mm -hmm. around things like dynamic content optimization. But also we talk about how, you know, this really helps explain the growing power of influencers because if someone is an influencer within, you know, an area like food or an area like beauty or mm -hmm. travel or something, then they're pre-selecting their audience. If I follow that person on Instagram, I've already said I'm yes, really in lots yeah. of areas. And so that really, you know, if you're not allowed to use cookies for targeting, then people like that are going to be increasingly useful yeah. because they pre-selected who their audience is. Mm. And I think that's really useful. And then the final element of this is 
what we're calling value exchanges, which is really the idea that more brands will be creating their own content and hosting their own content so that when you visit their site, they will say, you know, would you like to register? Would you like to allow us to potentially track you and things like that? And because you're getting a funny piece of content or you're getting some vouchers or something, then people are willing to do that. So I think with the the greater focus on identity and the greater need for brands to collect their own first-party data, what we're increasingly going to see is more brands creating their own content, but also more importantly, hosting their own content. Yeah. And creating this value exchange for people to say, you know what, I don't mind such and such a beer brand having my email address in exchange for something because I enjoy what yeah. they do. And I feel like I've got quite a close relationship with them. And then that allows that brand to subsequently retarget you and, and those sorts of things. And if we get this right, I'm sort of using the royal we here. I mean, it really is a sort of a win-win for people, for consumers. If it's a beer brand that I like, and you know, plus they're working hard, they're giving me something for giving data. I mean, this has always been the value exchange promise, hasn't it? We want you to give up something, but in return, you kind of get something out. With something like Amazon, it's the practicality of getting something that comes to your letterbox that night, for example. Okay, I don't mind the trade-off there or its content. I think so. It used to be sort of implicit with advertising in that I watch ITV for two hours in the evening and I know that I'm getting these great TV programs for free, mm. but I'm also watching eight minutes of adverts every hour. And so there's this sort of implicit contract, there's this implicit trade-off. But now what you get is something more explicit, which mm. is, I know I'm getting this for free, or I know you're going to send me a voucher, or I know I'm you know, getting loyalty points or something. So explicitly, I'm clicking on this box saying, yes, you have my permission to do such and such, because I know explicitly that I'm getting you know, two minutes worth of entertainment or 50p's worth of value or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And you don't need to explain it. It feels a lot, it feels a lot cleaner. It, you know, I'm just thinking about the whole GDPR cookie notice thing. I mean, the intention was that, you know, you would, you'd get proper consent from people and, but actually the unintended consequences, we've created this, these awful things that litter every single site. No one actually reads any of the cookie notices, which was just not the intention of how it would work. It's a bit like the T's and C's on Apple that are 40 pages long. Of course, no one reads them and you click, yes, so it sort of defeats the point of doing it. But I like this idea of the sort of, it's moved on from implicit to explicit. It feels much neater, much tidier. I think so, yes. And you can see connections between all of the different trends or between many of the different trends. Probably the overarching thing is that the pandemic has obviously accelerated film releases, conferences going more virtual and things like that. But it's also accelerated, I think, a greater understanding about the climate and a greater understanding of how fragile our position within the world is. Mm. But then also, I think it's really accelerated the idea that you know, we need to have digital proof of our identity. I don't think it's particularly onerous to show a vaccine passport to go to the Panto as I did in December. (laughs) But I think you will get much greater pushback against other sorts of things, potentially even things like voting and stuff. I mean, there have also been people talking in Parliament about trying to make it impossible to be anonymous on social media Mm. to sort out some of these problems and, and things. So I think the whole thing of identities is getting bigger. But again, I think it's been accelerated by the pandemic. And I think it's become much more to the forefront of people's minds. I mean, it's become much more explicit, really, because now we have to have some form of proving our identity. And to finish, I would love your take on, I mean, you 
work with these things all the time, year in, year out, there must be something that keeps kind of bubbling up but never actually has its moment in terms of a trend or anything that you've seen sort of recently, end of last year, you think it's just not going to happen. Just leave it, not going to happen. So I've been involved in writing these for more than 10 years now and quite often I go back and look through the early ones. In fact, I was on a call with a client and almost as an and finally I showed them what we talked about in 2012 and you know oh, wow. it was pretty good it was things like you know the rise of video advertising mm-hmm. and things like that you know because at that point it, it wasn't that big a thing and you know Facebook mobile I, didn't, I think at that point Facebook mobile didn't take ads no. or something but so I do and, and a lot of the things that we talked about back then you know maybe took a bit longer to happen so things like connected tv mm. i think we were talking about that in about 2015 or something but it's only recently that i think it's more than 50 percent of tvs in the uk mm. now yeah. i mean so also the thing about producing these reports is you have to have a cutoff period <laughs> and i think if the cutoff period had been april been april 2021 then everybody's end of year trend report would have featured live audio and i think if you you look at everybody's end of year reports now i think almost nobody would feature live audio because clubhouse was this thing yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of burned incredibly brightly and there's a now a twitter version and there's now you know versions on lots and lots of other platforms but you just don't hear as much about it as you used to i think it will happen at some point i think there have been some really interesting sort of discussions on twitter a lot of people use the voting feature on twitter to sort of do polls at the end of the year and stuff yeah And I saw one of these effectively have a Twitter Spaces two-hour conversation at the end of the vote where they were all sort of talking about how the competition had been and things like that. So I think live audio, I think it's a case where people will sort of need to find a use for it in in a way that live video was going quite for a while before people suddenly said, let's all watch everybody else play video games, you know, and it wasn't really the thing that people thought live video on the internet was going to be used for. I'm reminded of Meerkat and yes, Periscope. That's for your end of year media quiz, isn't it? The first two. <laughs> I love the audio point. The first was, two live videos. Exactly. And it, but it was on mine. I'd sort of written down this idea, you know, and maybe it's a bit of a product of pandemic as well, audio, because you know, perhaps we're fed up with kind of looking at each other. But And I've been, you know, listening to some great spaces. And I mean, Clubhouse was just such a minefield to navigate and get involved in stuff. I see in Slack, you can do a Slack audio huddle now, so you can sort of get in there and do things. So it's, I think you're right, maybe one just bubbles along and just kind of happens without shining too bright. I think there's definitely something there Mm. but i think there needs to be an actual reason for it and there were some really interesting ones and you know quite well attended ones you know like the end of the euros after each match in the euros and stuff people were Mm. doing spotify has got this one which was a company they bought which was basically live sports chat so i think there's definitely a role for it in some sort of situations but somebody has to try and make it work or make it more mainstream and it may be about things like moderation it may be about having some sort of superstar host who can just run a brilliant experience or something. So I think it will happen, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think it's something which is going to break into the mainstream in the next year or so. But, you know, five years down the line, never say never. Wonderful. Dan, in 20 minutes, I have just learned so much and you always give such brilliant examples as well. Thanks so much for coming on. Dan Calladine, thank you. Thank you. IAB UK. Next up, it's Marek Rubel from Havas Media UK. 
Marek, back in August, you talked about augmented reality as part of our Stay Engaged series. We looked at, you know, AR that's been over the past decade, and then you talked to the future of AR, finally getting into things like wearables, like glasses, etc. The one thing you didn't mention, though, was the metaverse, which, of course, everyone is talking about now. Companies are even <laughs> changing their names to become more like the metaverse. How, if at all, does the metaverse change everything we thought we knew about augmented reality? Well, I think it's like, the, the funny thing is like, yeah, it does feel like metaverse now is just like all the rage. But uh, <laughs> actually, even back in August and even before that, it's like the subject was already bubbling mm. below the surface. Because even if we think about Roblox, which is, I think, one of the biggest names in metaverse, yeah. it was already kind of an IPO in 2020 mm. was talking about metaverse. Will it change? Will metaverse change everything for uh, AR? Well, I think it's like yes and no. <laughs> because I believe that AR as a technology and the potential that it offers, it actually should stand on its own. It really has a role to play. I think we've seen, especially during lockdown, so many amazing applications of augmented reality. And I think about this kind of like merging the physical and the real world was so, so important during Mm. pandemic and hopefully it will stay important after. And so that's why I think it's like we shouldn't actually put like AR as a metaverse thing and Mm. only metaverse thing. Mm. But... Having said that, I think AR will definitely be a really important part of the bigger metaverse puzzle. And I think even more so, in my opinion, even more so than virtual reality and gaming, yeah. even that it's like there are just kind of mm. just three main subjects, I think, right now that we, when we talk about uh, metaverse, it's like a- AR, VR and gaming. And I think AR has this really strong position because it merges the physical and virtual worlds. Yeah. And I think that's really something that it's like natural for us mm. as humans. We don't want to actually... All the time be in the virtual world. We want to be around with our friends in our life and just see the digital content integrated in that environment. So I think that will be kind of like a big thing for AR and metaverse, basically. And do you think you talked about during the pandemic how people have probably discovered AR in a different way? Do you think it's moved on from being that sort of slightly quirky, playful thing to being something that people have found quite useful and practical now? Oh, totally. Looking at loads of research, we've seen that the pandemic changed their attitude to augmented reality. It's actually something that it's like they maybe heard about mm. in, in the past. They they heard about a kind of like, oh, I can look like a dog or just like <laughs> all this like lenses and so on. Yeah. But then it's like because we lived in such a different world and we needed to do things differently. I think augmented reality on many levels, I think especially in retail. And I think it's like yeah. when there is a shift in retail, then it's, it really pushes the new technologies into the spotlight but actually yeah, retail but even entertainment mm. education all these things actually showed us like how augmented reality can deliver value outside of being fun and kind of like engaging so i definitely think yeah we've seen this shift and i think with all the things that is happening with snap for example and mm. everything that is happening with facebook but even what is happening with web AR and just what eight wall is doing, which I yeah, think yeah. is fascinating. We're seeing augmented reality becoming a tool that can be used by almost any brand. It can be used by anybody yeah, yeah. in any setting. And I think this makes it really powerful, especially when we think that it started as a kind of bringing print advertisement to life. That was the first kind of advertising uh, solution I created. I think it was by Mercedes or like years ago. Mm. Now it's just 
everywhere and it can do <laughs> maybe i'm a big fan of our imaginality but it's, i do believe it can do almost everything i think it's really powerful i remember those very early days the early days of, <laughs> of blipper where you would exactly right you blip the print ad and it would give you marmite recipes when you blipped a jar yes. or thing or the chili i mean it's sort of incredible but it was that was the sell wasn't it, it was sort of this cool thing you could try but i was with my dad at christmas he was thinking about buying a new television and we were having an argument about whether this television would fit on the wall. And we had the John Lewis app, which allows you to obviously pick it up, take it up. I mean, he was just like amazed that, that you could sort of do this thing. But how on earth would he have done it before? Save actually buying the television and thing in or trying to do this measurement <laughs> thing. I mean, I'm so glad you made the point that it has suddenly become accessible to lots of people, not just early adopters that perhaps were doing the, the, the funny lenses and stuff at the start. Exactly. And yeah, it's like, I think it's this kind of the awareness is really, really important for augmented mm. reality. I think it will be about connecting the kind of mm. augmented reality with gaming, with virtual reality. And it's like, and then probably for other technologies that yeah. we don't even know be yeah. part of metaverse <laughs> right now. But it will be about kind of like they're working together. But I do think about this kind of because we can connect the real world mm. to it so easily. Mm. I think it's really powerful. You wrote recently about the metaverse for it to become an integral part of our lives. And a new iteration of the internet needs to be more about just fun and games which i guess is a build on the point we've just been making but it has to come out of this and can still remain a very playful thing but we have to see other uses for it i guess Oh, totally. I think what is happening with like Metaverse or as Matthew Ball, who's like kind of like really big expert and kind mm. of like one of the leading voices on Metaverse, he talks that it's like what we see now, there are proto-Metaverses. There are really early versions of what Metaverse will be. Benedict Evans even says that it's like the Metaverse right now, it's almost like a whiteboard. Yeah. We still like, yeah, yeah. like just things like we still don't know what exactly it is that mm. it's behind the stair. And I think it's like what we see now, it's like when we think about Roblox, when we think about Fortnite, when we think about everything that Facebook is doing and kind of focus a bit more on virtual reality. All of these things are so exciting and really interesting. But I do believe that it's like, if we want Metaverse to become this new version of internet, it needs to be more. I think it will be in a bit maybe a sad thing that it's like if we just like if it would be all about fun. Because when we think about internet, it completely changed well everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It changed how we work. It created not even business models that it created, it's like but the way we work. It completely changed education, how we basically get information, how easy it is. I always think that it's like how magical it is that I can open Google Maps and just see everywhere in yeah. the world. Like it just I know it's maybe funny to say, but it's on some level, even decades, few decades ago, it's absolutely yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder what this will mean for metaverse, like how we will change the kind of like, yeah, how we educate ourselves, how we connect with ourselves, not only in a social way, mm. but also in like how we'll be working together and even like how we'll be expressing our views and it's already, all of these things are already bubbling under the surface. They're already starting. But uh, yeah, it would be interesting to know which direction it will go. It's sort of this fascinating space around this sort of me in the physical world. And then the, at the moment, there's me on the internet, which could take any number of forms. Who I am on Instagram might be different to who I am yeah. on Pinterest and who I am in comments on The Guardian, for example. It's like, who am I going to be? We wouldn't have been talking about this stuff years and years ago, but uh, Tracy Follows talks about it in her book. But the idea of like, what is your identity? Not cookie and all the rest of it that's not that's a different <laughs> podcast but it's kind of like yeah who am I going to be 
in the metaverse and is there one of me is there multi it's kind of this big thing oh i think it's like what is happening one of the companies that i'm really interested in is ready player me and it's like what they're doing in the avatar space and it's like there's even there's from a advertising perspective i think there's quite interesting things like dune did amazing activity and the kind mm. of like you were able to create your avatar and it's like but it's not only that you create avatar this avatar actually now is able to live and across many different yeah, games yeah. many different experiences and then of course there will be more and more mm. and it's like the question the real question is like do i want the avatar looking like me yeah. or do i want it make it look really kind of fast fantastical or just like what as you can say that's like how we create this like identity yeah. through yeah. our digital presence and then it's like when we think about digital fashion or mm, we think yeah, about yeah. kind of like the digital items that are kind of like very often i thought like and it's edit with nfts and so on <laughs> it's like but it's like even the nft is just like it's creating a status yeah. you will be creating your identity so i think it's like how this will look like in metaverse when it's like i think there will be more of a presence you will have like probably you will have an avatar Mm. you just like you will create yourself in digital environment more than just kind of through curating content on Instagram yeah, and yeah, Facebook yeah. and so on. I think it will be fascinating and how kind of brands will play a role in it. Like, I think there's just so much opportunity. So, yeah. I just couldn't get my head around, particularly with high fashion brands, why they were so early into things like gaming and creating items like bags, T-shirts. But it's exactly as you say, what you're creating is a reflection of yourself. You might not be able to go out and buy that £3,000 Hamburg in the real world world but it but by having it in a virtual world gives you some sort of status says something about you so yeah I just couldn't because it, it, usually in my experience very conservative brands high-end luxury brands don't tend to do a lot of experimental digital stuff so I was sort of fascinated they've gone into the world of gaming so quickly I think also because it's like they understood on so many levels that gaming is also a storytelling platform yeah, 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 on top yeah. of and fashion is about storytelling about yeah. emotion and so on so I completely agree that it was in the beginning it was like oh wow and then it's like oh my god this makes yeah, so much sense yeah. and that it's like yeah it's kind of like storytelling platform is about kind of like uh, conveying emotion and the story mm. so seeing even now with meta like balenciaga is like yeah, they, yeah, they've yeah. done a massive thing with for they creating a special unit that will be looking at commerce in metaverse wow. already so it's really it doesn't even stop here it just yeah. kind of it goes on which is yeah like i think what's happening in fashion brands what they do in gaming in metaverse and mm. kind of like it's fascinating yeah away from the metaverse very briefly because i'm sure there's <laughs> so much more that you're getting asked about from clients in terms of 2022 what are some of the other things you're excited about trends wise or you think are big bets or you know things that we've been waiting to happen for a while that might explode I very often talk about like maturing rather than exploding. Yeah. I think it's like the exploding <laughs> is really exciting. Like I think metaverse exploded and it's like, I always talk about hype cycle and just kind of like wait when hype dies. So mm. then just kind of like to see it's like where, what actually matured like how did it emerge and just mm -hmm. and now it delivers value because it's like it's good to be exciting but it's like you have to deliver value for yes. brands for yeah. marketers for audiences as well so i think it's like in this case what i'm really excited for this year is just kind of this whole kind of saga about connected tvs mm. i think it's like this is something that i'm just like kind of going away a little bit from metaverse but the tv getting connected i think it's such an interesting story it's like because not only okay we have advertising and we have more and more players kind of like big players investing in the space and kind of establishing themselves in it but also even now talking about hardware players so mm. samsung's yeah, yeah. lgs of this mm. world entering the kind of like a 
TV experience space. They not only kind of a set that we look at because they enable this kind of more connected experiences. I think it was ITV did with Boots and Love Island. This kind of the art, they work with LG and just kind of able to buy things. Mm. But also another level is just Xbox is talking now that they will stop being a console and they become a TV, smart TV app. So there's such an interesting kind of like shifts in the world of TV and just not even mention the measurement that comes from the TV sets being better connected and so on. I think it's really something that I will be really excited for 2022. On the other hand, shoppable Mm. everything, which is even connected with kind of what's happening in the TV space. But uh, the kind of this kind of shoppable revolution that we have basically, uh, yeah, connected TVs, social commerce, definitely massive. Now it's becoming something that it's like the user experience is getting better and it's like it kind of brands and the social networks understand what they're doing. And of course we have good old QR codes with print. I love QR codes. I love that they're back. This is I, I, this is classic hype cycle. Everyone, we got very excited about them. We plastered them all over everything and got it wrong. Oh, we and then we sort of got over it, and now we're past the trough of disillusionment, whatever it is. And suddenly they're useful. Oh my god, completely! And it's like, and there's and people just like they kind of they moved finally moved away from just putting them on something. Yeah. Even when we think. <laughs> Was it, uh, uh, sorry that I, I don't know, uh, It's uh, it was Amazon did in partnership with Volvo or Audi? I don't, sorry, I don't remember, but it's like this kind of like that they did this promotion on Amazon packages. Then there was a QR code and it's like, oh, yeah. there was, pro- it's, this is so integrated now mm. that QR codes actually, or even what Sky is doing. That's yeah. like Sky is talking about shoppable TV ads mm. using QR codes, which are integrated with the system, the analytics and so on. So it's like, I think we definitely QR codes are really, yeah, I'm so happy <laughs> about that it's like they back. It's like, I think as a, as a fellow person working in mobile for years, it just, I was like, I knew it. I was rooting oh. for you. <laughs> it just goes to show you can have all the technology you want. It's kind of like human behavior. When we realize what they're useful for, we have a good experience with them, which you can't sort of say about QR codes years and years ago. Suddenly it's like, okay, we get it. We had all this technology and all the rest of it, but the fact it's just integrated in the camera and iPhone, the fact that actually it's a mobile page that it goes to and not some horrible, you know, pinch and pull website. So we learned lessons the hard way, right? Yeah, exactly. Just one thing on the commerce thing, I'd love your take on kind of expectations from customers you know arguably amazon reset everyone's expectations with next day delivery argos will get it to you on the day you know there are lots of providers that are doing that it does feel like as consumers if we want something we can get it very quickly without having to go to a high street or a retail park and get it where does that go to because we've shortened it from Mm. oh i can get it to you in a week i can get it to you next day i can get it to the day i guess maybe it is the virtual thing of like you could put this thing on virtually right now if you want to and then i I don't know but expectations this fascinating thing isn't it it's kind of like i want free returns and i want it tomorrow because someone will give it to me it's this fascinating thing i think that's such a good question i think it's like on one way it's like we do have this kind of like i want it now i want it right now it's like when you look like just like if if something is not delivered one or two days basically it's almost like it's offended you personally (laughs) just said something about a member of your family and it's like we do have this thing but then on the other hand i think the virtual element is interesting but i think it's like a lot of it is will be for the kind of your digital presence or for the trial and just kind of getting because it's like you still you need a product you need a physical product if you if it is physical product you need it with you but there's the questions like and and i think it's like there's more and more talk about it's like what all of this kind of like our focus on this kind of oh i want to get it now it's like how it impacts for example environment and it's like how it impacts the economy it's like kind of like the small business vendors small and medium business owners that it's like they cannot provide Mm. 
the service that we can expect from Amazon, which is one of the biggest companies in the world. It's like with a like just humongous logistical operation behind it. I personally hope that there will be a bit more conversation and just kind of like how we find a golden middle that it's like some things I need a convenience of getting it really quickly, but some things like, oh, maybe, maybe I don't need it right now. And I think it's like there is a big technology thing behind it, but I think it will be a lot about people's attitudes to mm. technology, attitudes to kind of like how this kind of solutions impact the planet, how it impacts the kind of the world around us. Very sage answer. Yeah. Ma- Marek, <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much for giving us some time and for sharing your thoughts on where we go in 2022. No, my absolute pleasure. And yeah, I think we have exciting year ahead of us. <laughs> IAB UK podcast. And next, I spoke to Liz Duff at Total Media. Liz, you're making the finishing touches at the moment to Total Media's 2022 trends report. We've had a sneak preview, so we know what's big. But why don't you give us an overview of some of the big trends that you're expecting to see this year? There's loads, to be honest. I suppose we're seeing a lot of developments in commerce particularly e-com so like live streaming we're quite excited about and sort of the the convergence of online and offline i think attention is a big talking point and it's the attention recession we're Mm. talking about sort of the scarcity of attention and how you actually build on that i think we're we're looking a lot around community and sort of community identity and what that's going to mean in terms of decentralization of the social networks mm-hmm. another one i suppose is around streaming and the proliferation of it and opportunities that are opening up in different areas that we yeah. perhaps haven't been talking about so much and then another big theme and i think it's something we've been talking about a lot over the last 18 months is responsible media so yeah, sustainability yeah, yeah. equality sort of making sure our media fits in with sort of how we want to engage as people feels like last year there was lots of sort of talk lots of people stood on platforms saying this is the way we should be doing it do you think it does move on this year now in that you know we are going to say what we were going to do we are going to make deliberate choices about you know media partners that we work with you know clients will push you harder to do it Do, do you feel like it moves on a bit this year I think it really is. I think, as you say, there's been a lot of talk about it. I think what we're seeing now is there's real opportunities with media partners to actually do it. And I think people like Goodloop have been talking about this for quite a long time. And, you know, they've been doing very well with it. But I think we're seeing more and more people coming into this area. But I think what's really driving it as well is there's sort of more pressure on brands to do it. I think consumers are getting more and more aware. And, you know, when you think about people are growing more aware of things like NFTs and their carbon Mm. footprint that that they're generating. And it's going to get people looking much more and thinking much more about sort of the impact of media and what it's happening. And I think in some ways brands are going to do it because they should, Mm. not just brands and agencies, Mm. but I think we're going to do it because we're going to have to think about Gen Z and sort of how much attention they're paying to it. I think they're going to drive sort of our behaviour. It's such a good point. And good loop, of course, friends of the podcast. And I just love the way that Amy and that team have always seen it as a point of difference for them. The fact that they do this, it's not a sort of apologetic thing that they're doing it. That is affecting their USP and why you should be you know, feeling exactly. pretty good about spending, spending with them, which, which I love. Attention recession, I also love. Attention for us, I guess, where we come in, we go and would agree wholeheartedly it's a brilliant metric. It's far better than the sort of the vanity clicks and impressions and, and all the other stuff that perhaps we rely a bit too much on. 
I guess the biggest thing for us is attention just means so many different things to different people. You could look at a platform versus a publisher versus something in out of digital at home. They all talk about attention in a different way. So I kind of wonder where we go. So I think we're all agreed attention is far better metric, much richer. How on earth do we get everyone to talk the same language? (laughs) Ah, the tricky bit. Sort of our job, I suppose, actually, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, how are we going to solve that? I I totally agree, because I think at the moment what we're seeing is, you know, people are measuring it in different ways. There's not, you know, independent verification of it necessarily. There's a lot of talk around what actual attention is and what's just going to be forced attention and, you know, accidental clicking and is clicking attention. And I think what we've been doing, and we've been doing it quite a long time, actually, is looking at the value of attention, but how do you judge it? So not just around eye tracking and are people looking at an ad, but actually going beyond that and beyond the visual attention and the action-based attention and looking at things like, you know, using biometrics to gauge emotional response and is the attention driving brand association? Is it driving message takeout? It's quite an interesting way of looking at it. And that's when you can start using things like neuroscience techniques and behavioural science to sort of look at how can we test our creative, tweak our creative to make sure we're driving that attention rather than just sort of looking at exactly how long someone is looking at something. Are they looking at it or something else? Because again, although that's better than just has the ad been served, it's still not telling us, is it valuable, sort of tangible? Yeah. attention and I think that's an area we're really excited about this year. I love the sort of the emotion bit and bringing biometrics and things into it. It genuinely feels like you know any comms brief has always got this is what we want people to sort of think, feel and do. Well, we can kind of measure the think bit. We can kind of see what they do, but the bit we've always struggled with is kind of how they feel and suddenly we've got this attention thing that if we get it right, that could be really interesting and the correlation is an obvious one. I guess if you can get someone to feel far more positively or warmly towards the brand, they're obviously going to be far more likely to, to use that product. So I love it. Exactly. You're going to have to keep us posted on this stuff. This feels like a, an almighty Engage presentation at some point with people wired up on stage. And I'm very excited about that. <laughs> oh, we love wiring people. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. <laughs> you talk a bit in attention recession about things like screen fatigue as well. I mean, the fact that we're doing this over Zoom and we've spent the last two years, you know, it's quite fun at the start, but that's all gone. What sort of role do you think things like screen fatigue play? I mean, there's sort of an abundance of screens in our lives now as well and we seem to be sat in front of them more than ever it's absolutely massive and i think the the reality of it is even you know when the restrictions lift and hopefully you know we can all attempt to get back to a a normal Mm. semblance of life i think what this has done it has changed the way that we live and we've got used to just having more screen time we're doing more multi-screening but we're also seeing you know people have had this media overload and they're just they're exhausted, uh, which is basically leading to that screen fatigue. And I think that's driving, again, sort of dropping attention levels. And I think it's even things like when you think about how many people have cameras off in meetings, they set their cameras yeah. off on mute and you've got no idea if if they're listening, if they're even there. And that's, yeah. that's sort of a consideration both for attention, but also just demonstrates that screen fatigue. People don't even want to engage with them anymore. So it's it's going to be a real issue. Well, switch gears a little bit then and think about audio. You know, the way in which we discover, the way we listen to music, to content, to podcasts has changed in this sort of last 18 months, two years as well. But I remember reading lots of things at the very start of the pandemic that 
oh, you know, that's, that's it for podcasts now. You get rid of the commute and people aren't listening to podcasts. And, you know, obviously people are finding different parts in their day to listen to them. But when you sort of look ahead to 2022, what do you see in terms of audio for podcasts, for music? It feels like it's on a, a good trajectory, I guess, if we look at the last year. You've picked a theme that I'm really excited about, <laughs> which is good. Because I think there's going to be such big growth. I think what we've seen in the last year or so is a real shift in terms of audio and a lot of it we can see it being driven by tiktok which has had a massive impact on music discovery and new artists discovery and there's a brilliant stat i saw last week actually from the mrc saying that three quarters of us users say they discover new artists on tiktok my god and when you think about how huge tiktok is globally now Mm. You know, it's driving discovery of new music, but it's also really helping the other streaming services who are probably very grateful to TikTok because, yes. you know, <laughs> people aren't just listening through TikTok. They're going to the other music streaming services to listen more, discover more. Yeah. And that that's a real opportunity for them. I think Spotify are probably thanking TikTok immensely. But I think the thing within the TikTok platform as well that's really interesting and exciting is sort of the growth of things like live streaming of music events. And we've already seen it and like TikTok is doing online gates and there's, you know, so much potential for like adding on social layers and sort of an e-com layer to it. So I think it's really just going to grow the music market. And I think what we'll see as well off the back of it and it's what we've seen with tv streaming actually is increase in genre specific services mm. as well as people sort of want to go from the big platforms but actually then center down into much more specific services who really understand sort of the genre the community the audience and i think it's going to be a great time for audio this year it's such a brilliant point to make because meanwhile that's happening in audio over here where cookies are kind of on their way out and suddenly we're all getting very excited about context again. I mean, that makes the point brilliantly. We just got so obsessed with scale and audience for such a long time. Now I think the pendulum's swinging the other way and actually because you're small and niche, actually that's incredibly useful because it's a very certain type of audience we context. Love yeah, it. And I think it'll help with what we're seeing as well in terms of subscriptions and, you know, people mm. actually are growing and growing number of subscriptions that they have. And at some point people are going to stop wanting to pay for sort of the broad subscriptions. They're yeah. going to want to drill down into paying what they actually see delivers them much more value. And with the smaller services, they might actually get it at a lower price as well. Yeah. So I think, again, yeah. that trend's going to really shift this year. God, I need to ditch some subscriptions. I wish that someone <laughs> needs to invent an app where they're like, how much have you actually used this thing? Whether you do it or not. I saw something yesterday that said most people don't actually know how much they pay for <laughs> subscriptions each month, which is worrying, but true, I imagine, based uh, on my own. Uh... Liz Duff from Total Media, thank you so much for giving us 10 minutes this afternoon. It really is an exciting 2022 ahead. Thank you. No worries. Thanks very much. IAB UK. And now over to Richard Kirk, CSO at Zenith UK. If you look at UK ad spend forecasts, obviously 2021 saw massive growth. When we look at our own ad spend numbers for digital in the UK, you know, they're up 50% versus 2020. What's your view on what happens this year in terms of media spend and how sustainable do you think it is versus what happened last year, which is obviously on the back of a fairly dire 2020? Yes, I think that you can look at the growth numbers last year and they really are outliers. You're not going to see the same level of growth as you did last year, but that's that's obvious, right? I think the interesting thing is how difficult this year is as a year in terms of 
predictions. If anything, it's way harder almost than last year. Next, who did their results yesterday? They had a really great little piece on why forecasting is so hard, which having spoken to our ad spend forecasters, internally, they would agree with. There's so many factors that will affect ad spend this year that are just really difficult to predict. So, you know, obviously at the moment, there's a strong resurgence by advertisers and there's a lot of demand for advertising and growth is relatively buoyant. But, you know, you've got pent up demand and savings in the consumer population. No one really knows how long that demand will keep on, how much savings there is out there that people are wanting to spend. Um, And will that reverse out? So has actually a lot of categories, have they borrowed future sales during the pandemic? And, you know, how long will that go for? The return of travel and leisure. So we're predicting, obviously, we're predicting huge growth in travel spend this year, but we're not predicting the travel spend to get back to pre-pandemic levels until the middle of 2023. Now, how quickly that comes back and how much restrictions continue to affect the travel industry is a really big unknown. Um, We've got a lot of inflation, consumer price inflation, and also, you know, retailers and, and are also having a lot of inflation on their own goods before they can sell them. So we don't know what impact that inflation will have on discretionary spending and therefore whether advertisers will continue to to pile money in, in, in this current sort of very buoyant market. And then finally, you know, there's a big national insurance hike coming this year for employers. And what does that do? You know, what's that going to do to the economy? And therefore, what impact is that going to have on advertisers? Is another one that's out there as a sort of uncertainty. And this is before you get into like all the volatility of media pricing is, is kind of impacting advertisers. Yeah, in general, we're forecasting in the UK decent levels of growth, but nowhere near the kind of like anomalous level that we had Mm. last year, you know, continuing to see strong growth in digital, particularly this year, we're forecasting a big rebound in cinema and outdoor, but that's because of the hangover that we saw. But yeah, the big point I would make is how difficult it is to forecast this year, because there are so many really big questions hanging over the economy and therefore over advertisers that you know, right now, the answers are not clear at all. Trends are typically a mugs game anyway, because, you know, you say something in a year later, you sort of review it, think, mm, maybe not. Talking to someone yesterday who was saying, if you had to predict a trend in the middle of last year, you probably would have said the likes of Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces and sort of that audio <laughs> stuff, but it's kind of plateaued out and maybe it won't have such a big bounce yeah. as what we thought. I'd love to get your view on the sort of the sustainability of it all, because I guess within our world, there's a much higher level of consciousness around actually where you're putting the money, not just the volume of money coming in, but more consideration than ever before on partners that are behaving, you know, ethically and socially in the right way when it comes to the environment. How do you see that playing out? Or is the focus on let's just get things back on track? I think that the sustainability thing is is here to stay, right? I think that there's increasing pressure on every single business to be acting in a sustainable way. Interestingly, though, you can see bubbling up in society a kind of right wing sort of coalition forming around opposition to the rush to net zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the actors that were involved in the Leave campaign <laughs> and the anti-EU campaign are now coalescing around starting a debate about is the rush to net zero something that everybody in the country wants. And I think that will be quite a divisive debate. And the thing that I've got my eye on as an interesting thing for this year is because there seems to be a very big social consensus at the moment in politics and in society about the good of net zero. And there's not a huge amount of opposition to it. But if an opposition to net zero does get organised, all of a sudden the very overt 
grow net zero pro sustainability positions that a lot of brands have had will some brands get a little bit sort of cold feet on that and pull back from it because they see it as not being something that everyone just accepts it's an interesting trend that comes in i mean it would be a big shame if our commitment oh, to net zero was anyway yeah. but it's certainly bubbling up under the surface in at the moment and that could be an interesting thing to keep an eye out on i've been saying for years that i think that there's going to be some big moment around advertisers realizing that there has to be something done about the negative effects of social media on, on society and supply but i've long since given up <laughs> any idea that's going to happen that will only happen if people turn their ire on advertisers as opposed to the social networks and i don't see any evidence of that happening. more broadly other things that kind of excite you i mean you know december 2022 you'll look back and it's not very trendy to call things the year of anything anymore but what do you think might define 2022 from a media digital point of view in a very sort of not controversial way not particularly interesting way i would say that this year you'll see a huge amount more attention even though this seems difficult given last year, but even more attention on the concept of of attention in advertising and the format's ability to deliver eyes on attention or genuine attention for audio and things like that. I'm a huge fan of the work of Karen Nelson-Field and Amplified Intelligence. I think you're going to see a lot of development around research into attention in individual channels and the launch formats from media owners where they're shouting about the attention levels that the format delivers. And I think you're also going to start to see tools that allow you to understand in close to real time how much attention is being offered in in individual auctions and individual plans and then also potentially like the things that enable you to tweak bidding strategies around attention as well. I think that seems to be the next logical step for that part of our industry. And I think it's great. It's a very strong leading indicator of successful campaigns is how much attention you're able to buy. And I think we're going to be all in on it. It's going to be a huge focus from us, you know, purely from a research point of view. I guess the thing we'll try to unpick, if I go to a social network, it means one thing. If I go to a VOD broadcaster, it's one thing. If I go to a publisher, it's a slightly different thing. And it reminds me of the sort of the viewability thing when everyone came out with their own viewability thing and we had like this just matrix of horrendousness around what was actually yeah. viewable. And there's a danger with attention unless we say, okay, this is what we mean by attention so I can compare this with this, that it could drag on a little bit. It's the same thing with cross-media reach and frequency, yes, right? Yes, That is floundering on the rocks of no one being able to agree yeah, a yeah. common set of standards. And, and the same thing will probably happen with attention and like it did with viewability. And ultimately for media planners, human media planners, as opposed to software-based media planners, that's quite a good thing. (laughs) There is a role for an experienced human media planner to come in and apply common sense to a kind of fragmented landscape. But I think anything that moves us forward and helps us plan a little bit more around genuine attention as opposed to simply opportunities to see or hear is a good thing. Last thing is football and Christmas sort of all in one. I mean, First time ever, it's yes. going to be a this is huge, yeah, yeah a World is. Cup in Q4. Whilst we've got you know MS and John Lewis running there, putting on the the heartstrings with their emotive Christmas ads. I mean, what this is a sort of a first ever. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, so we ran a seminar for all of our clients exactly one year before the World Cup kicks <laughs> off last November. Because like for me, if you look at like set piece opportunities where you can see the opportunity coming, in, like COVID, obviously no one saw that coming. But, but set piece opportunities, you know that they're coming. This is be the biggest one of this century so far media planning and advertising to drive business results you've got huge supersized audiences at a time of year where people are looking to spend money more than any other time 
You've got advertisers who only advertise seasonally in Q4 coming into the market. You've got this huge D2C wave that's continuing to go through D2C yeah. brands more and more in media. And then you've also got this chance that England might actually do pretty well. Shit, we uh, said it now. Oh, given God. recent format, uh, given recent form in tournaments. So I think for me, this is a massive opportunity for media planners and creatives to come together and showcase just how effective advertising can be. And my advice to anybody would be like, if you're not already thinking about your Q4 plan, you like you absolutely need to be because it's the one huge thing like this year and, and probably in the next 24 to 36 months that you can count on to be a huge opportunity. Yeah. And you wonder how busy in the sense of Christmas already, just from a telly point of view, that's what you've got. Add in this whole world, especially for big global advertisers like, you know, Coke and MasterCard, etc., who may very well do, you know, Coke have a very sort of seasonal idea of what they do. They also have this sort of football thing that they do. So it's, it is going to be an interesting creative on how it plays out as well. The seminar that I mentioned, we did it with ITB and, uh, and, and Twitter and their advice, as you would expect, was, you know, engage early because they're, you know, almost as soon as the draw is done, which I think is happening in March, as soon as the draw is done, you know, like there's going to be opportunities available. And But that being said, you know, with the Euros last year, you were able to buy a TV spot on ITV right up until I think the yeah. day of the first single game. So that, there will be opportunities for latecomers, but I would absolutely advise anybody, if you're going to start planning early for Christmas any year, it's got to be this year. Yeah, ITV media sales switchboard just getting into meltdown when that draw yeah. happens. Yeah. People trying to buy from there. Yeah. Uh, Rich, that, that was absolutely tremendous. Thank you so much. Richard Kirk, CSO at Zenith UK. All right, mate. Bye-bye. Dan Calladine, Marek Rubel, Liz Duff and Rich Kirk there. The exploding head emoji is probably the best visual descriptor of how I felt after those four conversations. And it's a brilliant reminder as to how much work goes into these agency trends decks, especially when what we all see is the highly finessed, polished, finished article. Anyway, I loved it. And all that's going on with Omicron, Dry Jan, the weather. You can't beat a bit of media trend stargazing to get you revved up for the year ahead. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, make it your New Year's resolution too. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else about it as well. We hope to see you very soon at something in person. But for now, thank you very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.